Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review. With your hosts, Simon Jones and Wayne Bolt. Welcome to Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review. With me, Simon Jones. And me, Wayne Bolt. This week we have a double helping looking at TV and movies. Yes, we're going to be looking at Being Human, which is a fairly popular science fiction show shown in the United Kingdom. Yes, and I don't know how wide it's gone beyond that, but uh, you will find out whether you should watch it or not. Yes, and we'll also be uh, taking a bit of a retrospective at the movie Tron. Um, which is a bit of a fake movie of ours, and getting a bit excited with Tron Legacy. Yes, yeah, so we'll be leading in to the new film with the trailer which was released this week, or last week, or sometime recently. Well, it depends when you're listening. Exactly, through the um, magic time conundrum. And we'll also be taking another visit to everyone's favourite, the trailer park, where we'll be looking at five recent trailers as released on the interweb. So, kicking off with Being Human, our first review of a TV programme. Yes, it's just completed... Series 2 over here in the United Kingdom. Um, To give you a bit of an idea as to what it's about, being human is about three supernatural entities, a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost. And it's how they're coping living in, like, a modern society. Yeah, and it's their attempt to integrate with the normal human society, hence being human. Uh, So, generally, it's them trying to avoid their kind of mythological backgrounds and actually live as normal people like they all used to be, obviously, because the ghost used to be alive, werewolf used to be an old guy, and vampire many, many years ago used to be ordinary as well. And obviously it's not a particularly easy road for them. No. The, the show was uh, created and written mostly by Toby Whithouse. I think it's Whithouse. Whithouse, yes. yes. And it's produced by Matthew Booch. Uh, both of those were at the recent SFX weekend that we went to where they did a very interesting panel about yes, it. Yes, well worth listening to, both of them. The three main actors or protagonists involved um, are John Mitchell, who's the vampire. He's played by Aidan Turner. Uh, George Sands, the werewolf. That's played by Russell Tovey, who will be uh, well known to sci-fi fans as being in one of the recent Doctor Who episodes. And also Leo Lerona Critchlow. Is it Lenora, isn't it? Lenora. Yes, I still can't read my writing. (laughs) Uh, who play? Who plays the ghost? Uh, each of the three characters I found was well, very well characterised. They all had their own very individual traits, sort of going along with the type of creature they were. Uh, Mitchell, for example, was very dark and moody, as vampires tend to be nowadays. Uh, Annie, as a ghost, tended to be quite cheerful, in a dead kind of way. And um, Sam's the werewolf, George. Um, yeah, he was coming to terms with his inner beast. Yes, it's uh, it's all about their repressed worries and concerns and how they kind of come out in their beast forms and uh, the story goes that and most of the fans of the show probably already know this because it's been said a million times but originally it wasn't meant to be a fantasy show originally it was just about these three people living in a house dealing with their personal problems and then at some point they looked at it and went hang on that's a bit like a werewolf a ghost and a vampire all oh, right I yes. did not did not know. That's that's how legend goes. Oh. Well, it's, it's very good though, and I think um, being human has done a very a, a very good job of creating its own it, it, its own legend, as it were. Yeah, it kind of picks and chooses from each of the three things depending yeah. on what most benefits its own style of storytelling. Yeah, vampires, for example, can tolerate walking around in the sunlight, um, but they do have to wear sunglasses. Um, but they are still bloodthirsty and horrible. Mind you, I'm very biased against vampires. There's no such thing as a good vampire in my book. 
Um, the the werewolf thing, we've not really ha- had the whole silver thing being explained yet, if that works or not, have we? And one of the things I'm really impressed with, which I like about the uh, about the, its sort of legacy, I'm trying to think, I can't think of the word, I'll, I'll stumble across it in a minute, um, is, is the way the ghosts and the dead side of things are, are dealt with. I really like the... Um, the way the ghosts pass on to the next world with mysterious doors. Yeah, which is a lot of stuff we've seen in hundreds and hundreds of stuff before where it's been kind of like a minor thing they brought in, but obviously having a ghost as one of your main characters, you've got that playing all the way through. And what's nice about the way they play it is it never really confirms exactly what's going on. There's sort of hints that we're talking about kind of Christian-style um beliefs and yeah. systems but you're not entirely sure no there's kind of hints of heaven and hell and purgatory and this kind of thing but you know the the ghost has no idea so as an audience we have no idea either and that makes it quite intriguing because while all the intrigue's going on you're, you're kind of trying to work out with them what the hell's going on in their crazy world they found themselves in yeah so over the course of the two series which have been so far um, our, our three heroes, uh, for want of a, a better word, I won't necessarily <laughs> yeah. call them heroic and some for, of the stuff they get up to. Much better word <laughs> yeah. at times. Um, they're, they're really up against it from a uh, vampire cabal, I suppose they'd want to call it, uh, with the vampires trying to inherit the earth as vampires always want to inherit the earth no matter what genre. Yeah, so you've you got these three mean. characters that you follow, all of whom are trying to sort of keep away from their kind of inner beast sides and reintegrate with human society while the rest of their kind generally don't want to do that and they're perfectly happy to go around killing and maiming and trying to take over the world yep the evil vampires for want of a a better term because they're all evil there's no such thing as a good vampire uh, are led by uh, a a chap called Herrick uh, who's played by Jason Watkins and Herrick I find is a a very good rather smarmy yet very evil um, character in it yeah, well, what's brilliant about him is uh, he's got this kind of alter ego as a police constable, I think. So he's got this kind of really high up powered position in the police while still being the leader of the vampires, which obviously gives him a lot of clout all around. Uh, and the guy that plays him has this brilliant kind of dual personality of being able to be this yeah. completely mundane, kind of bureaucratic head of the police who just looks like he's dealing with paperwork every day. And yet at the same time, he's got this completely insane, crazy, homicidal vampire character and somehow he manages to blend them together yeah now Simon when when you watched it um, I take it you watched it at a normal sensible episodic kind of yeah I I saw it as it was screened on British TV um, over the last year and a half or however long it's been Um, and pacing wise it works really nicely it's uh, it's a show that I think is about 12 12 episodes per season or is it even shorter than that uh, I'm not it's, sure. It's, it's shorter than that, I think. Anyway, it's a, it's a very tight show. It doesn't have filler episodes. Every single episode uh, is pushing the story forwards. And even though each episode is quite self-contained, with its own specific ideas that it's covering, uh, you never feel like you're treading water. There's always heading towards some kind of climax at the end of each season. Yeah. Now, I did that of a crazy thing, uh, which the DVD box set has created, which is to start watching a TV show and then getting through all 12 or 13 hours, if not more, however much it was, all, all in one sitting. <laughs> it's all sitting. a bit of a blur now. <laughs> it is all a bit of a blur. That's why I can't remember how long, how long it was. Um, but even doing it that way, I find it really absorbing. And yeah. I well, just coming, wanted to go on to the next episode, next episode, next episode. Yeah, coming to it as someone that hadn't seen it before and then watching the entire two seasons in one go, presumably it held your attention fairly well. Yes, yes. Um, it, it was really good. What I really like about it is it, it's such a, a nod to a lot of 
older British sci-fi. Um, Sapphire and Steel is the obvious um, inspiration for a lot of the spooky stuff, especially around the ghosty doors kind of thing. And there's a little nod to it with um, one of uh, one of the other werewolves. It turns up a Tully, who as uh, avid Sapphire and Steel fans will know, uh, tans Sapphire and Steel fans will know, uh, Tully was the rather irritable gentleman at the railway station who gets sacrificed by Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. To appease the, that's not a spoiler uh, because Sapphire still has been out for like nearly 30, 40 years yeah. now. So I think I'm fairly Keep safe on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for my money, being humans, the best British fantasy stroke horror for years and years no, well, and, and years. Comedy as well. It's a very good yeah. comedy horror. Well, that's something I wanted to say. It crosses uh, tone really well. It can shift effortlessly from being really funny to being really horrific to being really touching, uh, all in the same scene. Yeah, um, it's something that Joss Whedon does really well in his American stuff possibly with the exception of Dollhouse but we won't talk about that um, <laughs> but when he's at his best that's the kind of thing he does where he's not pinned down to just being a horror show or just being a comedy or a drama yeah. you know. oh, I mean you made a good point being human is the closest thing to a British buffer we've got yeah. much more than someone like say Doctor Who is and Doctor Who is a mainstream going after the BBC Tea Time audience on a Saturday whereas being human because it's tucked away on little old BBC Three it's able to get away with being slightly darker and slightly more specialised and it, it just works really well. Yeah, I think it, it's appealing to people that know about the genre as well, which is really nice. Um, yeah. Not in a way that it locks out other people, but it's it's aware of itself, whereas Doctor Who sometimes, if you are into science fiction, you can sit there cringing at some of the crazy stories they're coming up with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I put this up with uh, Ultraviolet, which was a vampire show, British vampire show in the 90s, that only lasted about six episodes, but which was excellent. Okay. Um, and this is the first show since that that I feel has actually approached its quality yep. in any way, and it's great to see British sci-fi actually getting up to that kind of American yeah. quality. Level. Yeah, it's good. Um, so I'm really looking forward to series three, um, where, of course, it moves from where the previous two, episodes, uh, two series were set, which is in Bristol, um, it moves over to Cardiff, which I think is probably something to do with the way that British sci-fi all has to be filmed in Cardiff now. Yeah, the BBC have a strange thing of everything having to be done in Wales um, because that's where Doctor Who kind of regenerated. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, everything else has to be made yeah. there as well. Not really sure why. So, if you're not seen it yet, um, I I really urge you to get hold of the uh, DVDs uh, in the UK. Series one is setting out on DVD now. I believe series two is coming out later. Yeah, possibly but- watch it in a more healthy fashion than Wayne did, because you know otherwise your eyes might bleed. Yep. But just a, a final note, good news, though, is that uh, Toby Whithouse and Matthew Boach um, are working on a superheroes kind of project are they? as their next little um, thing they're going to do. So hopefully that'll be... Um, is that a TV thing again? That's another TV thing, okay. yeah, exactly. Well, that could be good. Good quality could, sci-fi series. Something they're really skilled at is taking, presumably, a tiny budget and making it look really big. Um, unlike, again, say Doctor Who, which presumably has a much larger budget but ends up looking quite a bit cheaper because it doesn't optimise what it's doing, yep. whereas being human does exactly that. Okay, so being human, well worth it. Yes. Right, and that brings us on nicely now to the trailer park. Uh, the trailer park is our regular feature where we visit the Apple website and look at what trailers are on offer. Uh, this week we've got one of the trailers which isn't on the Apple website, which we'll come on to later. Uh, so first of all, uh, a film, uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Yes, this is a DreamWorks animation. Um, personally, I've never been a huge fan of DreamWorks' stuff. I'm a bit of a Pixar fanboy. Um, but DreamWorks always seem to go for the kind of starry cast, lots of shouting and kind of crude humour and pop culture references that yeah. 
kind of date really badly. Uh, when I was watching the trailer, I very much thought it was Shreky Vikings versus Dragons, which not necessarily a bad thing if you like that sort of stuff. Uh, the film seems to centre around uh, a hapless little fella who finds and trains his own dragon, and there's a big Viking versus dragon war. Yeah, um, while his parents and everyone else is saying, no, you have to kill them, you can't train them. So, yeah. yeah. I like the dragon design. I thought the dragon design looked really cool. Yeah. Um, especially the, the main little dragon that he presumably makes friends yep. with, which was really unusual. Um, yeah, I, I like the look of the trailer. It made me sort of smile all the way through. And it looked like, from the trailer, that it should have a lot of humour in the film. But it didn't necessarily show in the trailer that it is going to be funny. So I'm a bit... A bit um, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, there's one. a lot of what looked like death and destruction in the trailer as well. Yeah. Kind of, it's kind of in the background, but if there's much of that, it'd be quite interesting. Yep, that, that'd be quite a different always, route for Always them. good for a kid's film. So... As you may know, if you're a regular listener, every time we look at one of these trailers, we uh, use the Gertie scale of rating them. Uh, Gertie, of course, being the fantastic the computer from Moon, our favourite British homemade sci-fi film. Not homemade sci-fi film, favourite British film in a sci-fi being set on the moon I think genre. It, I think you've explained it. Right, okay. okay. So, so that one, what would you give? I'll give it a smiley face. Yes, yeah, so I, I give it a hopeful smiley face. Um, given DreamWorks past stuff, could not work for me, but hopefully it will. Okay, right. Next, a film called Please Give. Uh, this stars the woman who was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and she seems to be married to some bloke who may like to go out doing stuff and trying to make the world a better place by giving things to people. Except they quite often get it wrong by the looks of things, and when they think they're being nice and giving a homeless person some money or food, actually it's not a homeless person, they were just making some no, terrible assumption. I, I really wasn't paying much attention, it didn't really hold me at all in that trailer. Right, um, I th- some bits in the trailer I thought were quite amusing, but the problem with the overall concept for me is I can. it's going to be either incredibly preachy or incredibly condescending. I can't really see how that story can be anything other than that. Um, yeah. And in a trailer, I was quite entertained, but in a full thing, I can imagine I'd be quite yeah, irritated. Well, well, it just seems to be a typical Nicole Hoffman uh, movie. Uh, sorry, Nicole who? Um, Holo, Holo. Ah, uh, her, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, Gertie for that one, Simon. Uh, ambivalent face. Trailer was okay, but film, not optimistic. Yeah, I've got ambivalent face. I might watch it if it's on telly, and I really have nothing better to do, such as get out the chair. Right, the third film in the trailer park is Touching Home. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd. I'm not quite sure what this is trying to do. It certainly seems to be a drama, which appears to be around um, an angry old man, and it's some sort of family uh, tale, but I'm not really sure what the story they're trying to tell is. Well, what's curious is that it would seem that the the guys that play the old guy's sons in the film... Uh, also directed the movie mm-hmm. and are also, Noah and Logan Miller yes and they're also actually the sons of the dad in the story in real life so it's their telling of their father's life or the end of his life by the looks of things uh, which is quite an interesting idea um, the trailer's got this bizarre bit at the end of it where Ed Harris who plays the dad and these two sons uh, come on camera and do like a mini interview um, right at the end of the trailer which I don't know if that's just a thing they've got on the Apple website but it seemed very strange and it seemed to kind of indicate a slight lack of confidence to yeah. me almost like they couldn't like because the trailer they, did, did its job they, they, couldn't, they couldn't sell the film mm. so we have to come on and tell them what the film's about but apparently um, it's brilliant and a deeply moving drama yeah there are lots of uh, very very quotes emotional from, quotes yeah quotes from uh, newspapers yeah. and reviews my, saying how great it's going to be my big problem with it uh, was the music because the visuals actually look great looks like a really, really nicely shot film. But uh, all the way through the trailer, it's got this plinky-plonky piano music that's just shouting, like, be emotional, at yeah. you. Um, and 
the content of what they were showing you was already quite emotional. They didn't need to put that really cheesy right. music on top. Um, and All these quotes in newspapers. Exactly. Uh, if they want quotes to, for people to say stuff about the film, they can have a spiffing review quote, utter tosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't tell whether it was a bad trailer or a bad movie. I think the trailer made the movie look cliched and cheesy, um, but at the same time it looked like it was lovely in terms of the way it was shot and good acting and all that kind of thing. So maybe it's just the trailer people having a lack of confidence in their own film. Okay, so Simon, Gertie for this one then. Uh, sad face. Yeah, sad face on me. No surprises yes. there. Yeah, I feel sorry for the filmmakers in some ways because I think the trailers probably misrepresented them a little bit there. Yeah. Well, they should get better trailer makers. Yes. Anyway, talking of bad trailer makers, um, <laughs> yeah. we move on to a film called Dream Killer. Now this, as you can probably guess just in the title, is a horror movie. And if you were left in any <laughs> doubt as to if it's a horror movie or not as soon as the thunder and then the almost tubular bells like piano overture comes on and then some guy going what you don't know about fear possibly the worst trailer I've seen in months possibly the worst horror movie in a long while I mean I slagged off um, the previous one uh, Touching Home for being a a poor trailer Uh, but at least it still felt professionally put together (laughs) you know Um, Dreamkiller, uh, the trailer feels like it was put together by someone that's only just made the first movie and yep. doesn't really know what they're doing. Well, when I was looking at it, the only thing I picked up from it to summarise the movie is knives, knobbing, and Nazis. Right, yes, which normally you'd quite like, probably. But uh, but, but not in this Put context. together in this way. Um, yeah, it just seemed like cheesy, cliched bilge, to be honest. It, um, it doesn't and, look good. No, and the worst thing was that main character every sort of 30 seconds in the trailer coming out with some amazing insight into the like, psyche of the human mind, which was just something really obvious, like telling us what courage means. But he yeah. actually just told it's us it's, the dictionary uh, definition. Yeah. All, 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 it, all it seems to me, um, it seems to be a cliche of a number of horror movies. The fact it's called Dream Killer um, instantly makes me think of Nightmare on Elm Street. Is it going to be that sort of thing? I just don't know. I probably don't want to know. I don't really care. So, Gertie's to that one. Uh, sad face, but he's not really paying attention. He's like looking at something else. Yeah, sad face on me. Um, uh, so, finally, in the trailer park, we move on to a film called Zomblies. Yes, Zomblies. Uh, in, in uh, the aid of transparency, I should probably admit that I have a slight connection to this film, which is uh, it's a very low-budget uh, indie zombie film, as you can probably tell from the title, uh, made down in Devon, here in the UK, by a bunch of people kind of doing it in their spare time, but they've put a huge amount of effort into it. Um, we, I heard about it through some other filmmakers I know, um, and they've been blogging about it all the way through some really interesting behind-the-scenes stuff, and they've just released the trailer today. So, Wayne, as someone who didn't know anything about the Zombies Project, what did you think of it? Well, I think mean, knowing that it's an independent kind of film, uh, the trailer does a pretty good job of setting up to what the film's going to be, which is it's obviously another take on 28 Days Later. Uh, it looks like it's got some decent effects in it. You already get the hand going into the flesh kind of thing, which is always a good sign. <laughs> at least, Always a good one. Yeah, at least they're going to be making some sort of... Um, effort to make the props yes for, lots for of squelching shots. and brains exploding and yep. that kind of thing I, it, it looks like a, a typical good old sit down water zombie flick kind of movie uh, I can't see it being the best film ever but again I can't see it being gamer <laughs> no uh, for me it reminded me a lot of Dog Soldiers yeah, um, in tone and style it's got that kind of uh, rough and ready let's go make a movie and it's got the kind of enthusiasm and drive that you get from people making movies without any cash <laughs> yeah um, and they know what they want to make because they've seen it all before and they just want to do their interpretation of it and that's not necessarily a bad thing 
So, I think for that one, um, I'm going to give that a smiley face. I yeah. certainly like to see that one. Definite smiley face for me. That's actually premiering in Exeter in a few weeks. Um, beyond that, not sure how it's going to be made available, but hopefully it'll be online somewhere for people to watch. So keep an eye for that one, Zomblies. Okay, so Simon, of all the uh, five trailers we saw today, what's going to be your pick of the week? Uh, mine actually would be Zomblies, I think, um, because a couple of the other ones just were incredibly shoddy and the other two could go either way where Zombies I kind of know what I'm going to get with that uh, and the trailer showed that to me and I'm looking forward to it okay and I think for me it'd be How to Train Your Dragon because I'm a sucker for that sort of a Shreky Viking Dragon crossover <laughs> kind of thing okay so that's the end of the trailer park it's a niche genre that uh, is, Shreky yeah. Dragon thing yeah so um, our final feature in today's podcast is going to be a bit of a Tron retrospective Yes, Tron being a movie that came out in the 80s and kind of after the fact slightly revolutionised things a little bit and people have realised since the film that it was actually quite a pivotal moment in filmmaking and in kind of geek culture and that kind of thing but at the time it completely bombed, no one cared about it and no one seemed to like it. Uh, so Wayne, do you want to give a little bit of background on what it's about? Yeah, for those of you who haven't heard of um, the, the Tron phenomenon or for the Phenomatron as I'm going to call it. Um, Tron's about... It, it's about some computer programmers who write programs and work for a big uh, computer-y... Uh, NCOM, NCOM, I can't remember. NCOM. I only saw it the other day, <laughs> yesterday. Um, there, there's obviously an, an evildoer um, involved, uh, played by David Warner, who plays a chap called Ed Dillinger. He's taken over NCOM. You might have seen David Warner in every single science fiction TV show and film ever made. And he's very good. And he also uh, uh, does a lot of audio stuff now. He's getting a bit older now, so obviously can't run around so much. So now he does a lot of audio books, like he played Hugo Rune in the audiobook version of the Protonomicon, and also plays Steel in the big audio. Uh, also, big Finnish uh, Sapphire and Steel productions. Is there anything you don't know, Wayne? There's a few things. <laughs> we haven't found it. We, we haven't found it yet. Anyway, yeah, so Tron. It basically follows the story of Kevin Flynn, who's played by Jeff Bridges, uh, who ends up being digitised via some spooky, lasery, computery thing. That's never uh, entirely it, explained. <laughs> uh, no, uh, into what's called the Master Control Programme. So it's basically taking the idea of what would happen if a programmer was digitised and sent into this crazy virtual world, probably even before virtual worlds really existed in that way. Yeah, well, that's possibly one of the reasons why no one actually went to see it at the time, because no one had a clue what the hell it was on about, uh, because it puts these characters and programmes and throws around all these weird terminology that people weren't familiar with and uh, input-output and all this kind of stuff. And people yep. didn't really even have home computers then. It was uh, very much a rare thing to yeah. have. It has very much come into its own um, as, as a, the internet has made computers yeah, more everyone. like as the internet as computers have kind of taken off over the last yep. 20 years, so has the film. Anyway, uh, so uh, Jeff Bridges' character is, uh, is aided by uh, Alan Bradley, who's played by Bruce Boxleitner, and... Dr. Laura Baines, who's played by Cindy Morgan. Um, Bruce Boxleitner, of course, is uh, more well-known to sci-fi fans out there as John Sheridan from Babylon 5. Now, interestingly, uh, there's another Babylon 5 connection there with, is. with this, uh, in that Peter Jurassic, who played Londo in Babylon 5, uh, has a very small part uh, in the film as Crom. Yes, and what's curious is that he doesn't appear to have aged at all between Tron and Babylon 5, about 15 years later. Although his hair got a bit taller. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, um, it's a Disney film, and it kind of 
takes these characters on this little adventure through the digital world and they try to free it from the oppressive, horrible MCP Master Control program. And uh, it's quite, there's quite a lot of films in the 80s that went down that route of taking a bunch of characters uh, from the real world and sticking them into a fantasy world, uh, or doing it kind of vice versa, in a way. Uh, um, and it seemed to be, at the time, something that they did because they couldn't quite have the courage to go with it properly. It's like, at the time, you didn't have stuff like Lord of the Rings, where it's just in a fantasy world and that's that. Um, you know, you had stuff like the He-Man movie they made where they had to take them out of Eternia and put them into the real world and uh, never ending story where it kind of goes into the story through the book and you, you felt like you always needed that kind of inroad for the audience um, and Tron has that except what's interesting about it is that the world they go into is still very much part of our world because we created it and it's kind of meant to be continually going alongside it. And, and I think as well uh, as time's gone on Tron the 1982 Tron film is becoming more relevant now because there's quite a lot of things which echo with the way you know virtual worlds and mm. computers becoming more and more powerful, and you know huge great computing organizations trying to take over the world, and yeah, well, rewatching like it, there was uh, I felt definite parallels between like the battle between open source software and like the big corporations like Microsoft, yeah. which obviously at the time wasn't <laughs> an issue. Yeah, no so one has thought of it. it it's really a, a weird foreshadowing what's going on. And one thing as well I like about the film, even though it was made back in the eighties, when you watch it, it hasn't really dated that much. I suppose because it has kept. Uh, computery trends have sort of kept up with yeah. what Tron's predicted. Well, it's so incredibly stylized that, like, a lot of... Well, not a lot, but a few a few science fiction films become so stylized that they become kind of timeless. Uh, like THX 1138, I think, it's the same, because it's so stark in its presentation that there's nothing in there from the 80s, yep. except for the bits which are actually set in the 80s, <laughs> so yep. it's fine. Um, and obviously, technically, it has dated a little bit, um, but not that much, to be honest. And after sort of ten minutes of watching it, you kind of just acclimatise, and design. you're in this amazing world that since then no one has really come anywhere near replicating. Yeah, so. um, I mean, I love it because it's it's a it's a weird blend of a film. It's kind of like an art experimental movie mixed with a Disney family film, which you don't get that often. Um, no. and it makes for quite an uncomfortable mix at times um, when you've got these kind of crazy ideas coming up against what is trying to be a normal Disney movie. Um, and I think that's possibly, again, why it, uh, on its release people didn't quite know what to make of it. Um, and I think the real-world stuff is a little bit stilted, perhaps, uh, compared to the stuff that's in the digital realm, although maybe that's deliberate. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. No, no. Anyway, um, one of the other really good things about the movie, of course, is the spin-off stuff we used to get of it. Uh, one of the things I remember... Uh, is the Tron arcade game. Now, this is back in the days where to play a computer game, you really had to go into the arcades to, to get the best um, processing power and the better games, because back then it was like Vic-20s and Commodore 64s and the like, oh, and Spectrums and, and all those sort of little things. Um, I can't remember much details about the video game, other than though it's really cool, and you had to do the um, ball-chucking game where you're in the hoops and you sort of would die if, if you lost, and you had the light cycles, which are a very iconic part of Tron. Yeah, I mean, the light cycles in terms of science fiction movie iconic stuff, I think the light cycles have got to be second only to, like, lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, well, because really. the, uh, you know, the, the cycles have got that noise as well, and the mm. lightsabers have their own sound, yeah. and the light cycles also have their own sound. It's very distinctive. So like, if you talk about iconic sci-fi stuff, you've got lightsabers, light cycles, and then how's I. You know, they're the three things that people are going to think of, I think. Mm. So, well, fortunately, all this talk of Tron... Um, is leading us into um, Tron Legacy. 
yeah. which is the not a reboot, which I'm pleased to say, and not a remake, which I'm also pleased to say, but it's a follow-up, um, which is going to be released later this year, also by Disney. And it was good to see from looking at a couple of the trailers that Bruce is back. Yes. As as is Jeff Bridges. So yeah. it's an obvious continuation, but set this 30 years later. Yeah, well, it's a surprising sequel in every way, I think. Because this is a sequel to a film that completely bombed when it came out, and Disney hated it and kicked out all the staff that had worked on it, which people say kind of put back special effects about five, ten years. Um, and they basically kind of ignored it for years. But it's kind of got this cult following, but presumably the cult following has got old enough now to actually be directing and making movies yeah. they're like oh and a sequel to Tron and that's where they're going with it yeah. um, but what's even more remarkable is not only that they're making it but that Jeff Bridges is back and obviously he's gone on to be a pretty major actor having just won his Oscar yeah. as well so he's kind of moved beyond perhaps where he was when he made Tron and then you've got Bruce Boxleitner who is kind of at the other end in some ways and that he became very successful in TV genre stuff but yeah the bomb, uh, Scarecrow Mrs. King yeah um, bring him back alive in Babylon 5 obviously but he's not regarded as a feature film actor these days which mm. I think is a shame but the fact that they've actually got both of them back shows a real respect to the original property I think yeah oh, it's really great and it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the director Joseph Kaczynski uh, deals with it all he's not really done a, a major motion picture before has he Simon? Uh, not as far as I know he's uh, mainly a commercials guy he did some of the really, really stylish, cool commercial stuff for Halo 3, uh, which you can find online, which is well worth watching even if you don't actually like the games. Um, so this is, I think, his first feature, and he looks like he's brought all his technical kit and style yep. to it. But what I think is promising in the trailers is it look Well, there's hope that there's substance there as well as yep. style. There's talk of Flynn changing religion and culture and society and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't feel just like a Michael Bay special effects yeah. but, but trailers really are appealing to the uh, fans of the original Tron though you just get sucked into the whole oh Tron's coming back there's luck cycles that's the sound oh it's Flynn's arcade oh it's Bruce Box like that it's everyone everyone's come back into it so it looks really exciting and if it works um, then hopefully uh, Joseph might better bring a magic touch to the rather poor Disney film Black Hole which is uh, terrible even when I saw it as a kid I thought it was terrible it does have its followers though yeah Hopefully going straight into the black hole as well. It's just not a good film. Uh, as much as I want to like it, um, it's just it's just not that good. Um, and he might be doing Logan's Run as well, which is... Does that really need a remake? I don't know. Mm, Do probably you, not. 70s original was, was that good. But anyway, going back to Tron and Tron Legacy, it's nice to see and say it's not going to be a reboot because I've had enough of these reboots. I think yeah. it's just a carry on the traditions. I think following on from Watchmen last year... Uh, it seems that there's studio people that are kind of taking this kind of thing more seriously and they don't have to cheapen it they can just let it run its course and be serious about it and give us this sci-fi stuff that is made by people that understand it yep so um, I think that brings us to the end so in summary being human very good watch it if you haven't Tron Tron, very good watch it if you haven't and look forward to Tron Legacy so it just leaves us now just to say if you want to contact us about anything we've uh, said in in this podcast or haven't said then you can contact us in a number of ways you can email us over at simonandwayne at spiffingreview.com or you can find us on twitter at spiffingreview or you can just go to our website spiffingreview.com where you can find all the details so until next time it's bye